When you incorporate disaster thinking in the idea of preventing the impact of a natural phenomenon on people, you're going to design your cities differently. You're going to design your buildings differently. You're going to design your parks maybe as part of the response to accommodate water surges or floods or anything. So there are many different best practices around that. When it comes to disaster risk reduction and resilience, what is design thinking? And what are the elements that form this approach? How do we involve our communities? And how does Texas A&M work with different communities to help increase regional resilience as a whole? Listen in on my conversation with Dr. Jorge Vanegas, Dean of the College of Architecture at Texas A&M University and research professor with the Texas A&M Engineering Experiment Station. Let's ride the wave. In a world filled with chaos and a myriad of risks, there is opportunity. You're listening to Riding the Wave, project management for emergency managers, where we discuss how we adapt and rise above those rolling waves of hazards and threats we face and rise to the top. And now your host, the president of Pinnacle Performance Management, Andrew Boyarski. Hi, I'm here with Dr. Jorge Vanegas, who is the Dean of the College of Architecture at the nationally renowned Texas A&M University. And Dr. Vanegas has experience in engineering, in project management, and most importantly, the subject of the conference that we're both in attendance here at the RISE conference here in Albany, which is focused on how to integrate universities in all aspects of emergency preparedness, response, and disaster recovery. And it gives me great pleasure to have you on the podcast as our first guest. If you could just tell me a little bit about some of the work that you do. Thank you. Uh, the work I do is very multifaceted. I am technically a researcher, I'm technically a professor, and I'm technically an administrator. So you have to wear many hats. When I came to Texas A&M, I have to confess I did not have a social conscience. That came because of the nature of what I do at Texas A&M. And that puts me directly in contact with communities. And over the years, we've experienced the effects of natural phenomena on people. And that's what is really the disaster. It's not natural disaster because they don't exist, but natural phenomena, which is normal, cause problems. So in my job, we have the perfect convergence of disciplines that work on three different environments that are kind of physical. The natural environment, and we are very, very strong proponents of sustainability. The built environment, and we're very strong proponents of resiliency, sustainability, and health. But we also operate in the virtual environment, which today plays a very important role. And in the context of what you're talking about, how do you deal with disasters? We need to start thinking on that extra way of thinking called digital thinking. And that's the environment in which I operate. But very specifically on the whole context of disaster preparedness or vulnerability analysis and then response. And then what do you do after that? I think that what I see is a tremendous opportunity if there is collaboration across disciplines. Uh, my biggest frustration is when there are so many silos that think they have the answer. 
they know what to do. So the engineers have a different way of responding to disasters than the people in public health. People in public health has a very different take on it than the economists. So I have not declared loyalty to any specific discipline. I really consider myself and my work transdisciplinary, and that's what we're doing in our college. We're very lucky to have academic programs in seven disciplines, all related to what we're talking about in terms of disasters. If you want disaster preparedness and some semblance of potential response, you have to mitigate the potential impacts right from the beginning. So urban planning, regional and urban planning and design are a good starting point. And we have too many settlements at urban, suburban, semi-rural and rural that just don't benefit from what urban planning as a discipline has to offer. So that's my starting point. But then a very important part of this is design thinking. And there are three elements of design also in the disciplines that we deal with. On one side, you do have the normal architecture, which is what peppers all the facilities in an urban setting. But you also have the landscape architecture, which is the one that unites all the facilities in the open public spaces, the recreational spaces, where the natural environment meets the built environment. But we also have the discipline that actually is right now developing the land and properties that bring together the urban, the architecture and the landscape. And that is land and property development, which then evolves into the real estate assets. When you incorporate disaster thinking in the idea of preventing the impact of a natural phenomenon on people, you're going to design your cities differently. You're going to design your buildings differently. You're going to design your parks maybe as part of the response to accommodate water surges or floods or anything. So there are many different best practices around that. But more importantly, we also have a very strong construction program. Construction is when all the great ideas materialize. And construction is the one that really manages project management a lot. So from the world of construction, you have to not only operate within an urban environmental regulations and guidelines and policies, but you also have to execute what the visionaries of architecture and landscaping and, and, and development of land are envisioning, and then you have to give them. But it doesn't stop there. You have to now consider the service life of your asset, whether it's an infrastructure system or whether it's a facility. So for me, what this has taught me is that the integration, the interdependency, the interrelationships of the whole lifespan of a facility. And I use the word lifespan instead of life cycle because we're not there yet on where the life cycle is. And you have a disaster that tears down a hotel, you throw away all that debris, you start again and build a hotel and you build it in the same place and you maybe build it a little bit stronger, but the next hurricane will do it all over again. When you go to the circular economy where you design all the assets that we do in a way that can be reabsorbed after a disaster, can be partially reutilized or at least decomposed and then use that for something else. We're gonna be getting there. So I'm an idealist at heart. I'm not very optimistic that the human dimension will support all the great things that so many people are doing. 
But I have eternal hope that we are going to get it because I just heard something today that struck me. For all the people that deny climate change, extreme weather events, the science behind them, for all those that don't believe it, it's okay because nature as a teacher will teach them a lesson they will never forget. And now a word from Pinnacle Performance Management. This excerpt is from Disasters, a Sociological Approach by Dr. Kathleen Tierney. She's a sociology professor at the University of Colorado Boulder. I highly recommend this book to all emergency managers, public safety officials, and any others who are interested in looking at the impacts of disasters and emergency situations in the United States as well as throughout the world. And I'm quoting from page 227. Climate change adaptation projects will proceed as planned in a business-as-usual scenario, but retreat and relocation will increasingly be coping strategies of choice. As life in coastal areas and other disaster-prone zones becomes more and more untenable. Property values will plummet in hazardous areas and ensuring at-risk properties will become prohibitively expensive or impossible at some point, wiping out homeowners' investments. Jurisdictions worldwide will face the challenge of extensively retrofitting, relocating, or abandoning critical infrastructure elements such as ports, highways, and power plants. Distinctive local and regional cultures threatened by disasters and climate change, such as cultures that are dependent on fishing and other subsistence activities, will weaken or disappear. So when you look at that, I think that we just need to be ready for whatever you want. So one of the examples I know that you worked in is in the Houston area after Hurricane Harvey. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experience there? What have you worked in in implementing many of the concepts and planning approaches to disaster mitigation in that area? One of the units that we have in our college is called us the Hazard Reduction and Recovery Center. It's a formal multidisciplinary center that does great research in terms of disasters. What do you do in terms of resiliency preparedness and how do you inject it in the communities? It complements the efforts of the Institute for Sustainable Communities, which focuses on translating research and putting it in the hand of the people that need it, involving the people from the community as part of the whole citizen science movement. We have another program called the Texas Target Communities that complements our Colonias program along the whole border of Mexico that builds capacity inside the communities. So I think that one of the biggest lessons is you need to involve the communities. You can't come with a plan to say to a community, hey, you know what, this is what you need to do. Because by the way, I'm gonna label you as vulnerable. I'm gonna label you as at risk. I'm gonna label you as poor, disenfranchised. You don't know what you need to do. We do. I don't believe in that. I am a very contrarian when it comes down to helping, assisting, in a very paternalistic, condescending way. We work with the communities and learn from them. The biggest tool we have is actually the question. So part of what we have learned is that without a very strong program of community engagement, where you're actually 
not looking at them as you don't know what you're doing. We have the answer. But rather, you're the ones that have to deal with this. Why don't you come and help us find answers? And why don't we bring to you tools for you to help you? So, you know, it's not about handouts. It's really about hands up. And that is, I think, a core value that we really believe in. One of the interesting outcomes of our Institute for Sustainable Communities, which, by the way, transcends our college. All these centers have fellows and in interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, cross-disciplinary, and transdisciplinary collaborations and interactions. It's actually a great ecosystem of collaboration. They actually formalize a covenant with the communities, a covenant that defines what are the expectations from the community to the researchers, what are the expectations of the researchers from the communities? It's an element of dignity, respect, and trust. Those are very endangered attributes these days. Mm -hmm. But if you can't gain the trust of the community, they're not going to work with you for the outcomes that you want. And that leads me to another thing. I've learned over my years that the best plans end the moment that something happens. You may have the best coach with the best playbook, for the final Super Bowl, and you practice and practice and practice all these plays and everything, the moment the game begins, those plans go to the second, and you have to react on the spot. In doing so, you can't program people to follow a script, because like in improvisational comedy or theater, you can't just memorize and read because that's not how disasters happen. That's not how nature operates. So what we need to really do is instill this ability of people to be able to apply the information, the data. And here's another one. You know, it's, it's about data. We are swimming in data. Data on its own means nothing until you make it information. So then we're swimming in information. But information on its own doesn't mean anything unless you transfer it into knowledge that could be applied. And knowledge that is not applied is useless. So when you start applying it, you gain experience. And that symbiosis between applying knowledge and learning from what you apply it is what eventually leads to wisdom. And unfortunately, wisdom is something that eludes people today because it, it requires a lot of effort. So the way that we handle this is that we don't have a recipe. We don't have an algorithm. We don't have a plan that you have to stick on. I'll give you the analogy in construction. I have asked this for audiences over 40 years. Anybody in construction knows that it's all about the definition of the scope of work. So we are, in our industry, architects, engineers, constructors, manufacturers, order takers. You, the owner, public or private, need a hospital. All right, fine. We'll give you a hospital. That's what we're geared for. The problem is that that puts us as a commodity because then the owner can choose whoever they want based on price, not necessarily on what they really need. So we don't have a partnership. We say we're partners with the owners, but we're not. They pay the bill, we do what the owner wants. So we need to change that paradigm from order takers to value creators because the experience and the knowledge that we do have on how to put something together, how to look at it over its life span, how to do all that, 
that has value, but unfortunately, it never makes the financial return on investments. It doesn't make the CAPEX and OPEX indicators of capital expenditures and operating expenses. So we need to change the narrative on how we interact with each other. So when you go to that Super Bowl and the plans go down the drain, if you want the plans to be exactly like you want it, the only thing you need to do is for the other team to play like you want them to play. And unfortunately, with nature, you cannot tell nature how you want it to react. Oh, please go on this one, because this is where we have the best mitigation defenses against the storm surge. Or go here and you can do the Ike Dyke thing and that will protect Galveston. I have tried to change the narrative in a different way. When I was given the chance to be a dean, it's not been an easy thing to convince all these people to start thinking in a different way. But I think that the only hope to really go up to the response to the disasters as they keep on growing because they don't seem to be going away or diminishing is to have a conversation that has the following ingredients. Number one, we need to regain respect and trust for each other. When you have the politicians of any side, I don't take sides, or the communities against the establishment, again, I don't take sides. And you cannot dialogue, you cannot have hard conversations, and all you have is contempt for the ideas of the other. We're not going to get anywhere. Second, I don't think that science has the answer, but science does have the answer if it involves more than just the scientists. So when you are actually talking about developing solutions and you don't include the community in them, those solutions are not going to work. So that's why I'm a firm proponent that uh, one of the dangers in disaster response is a knee-jerk reaction to what happened. And like I said at some point, it's about go, 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 do, 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 because if not, you're going to be accused of not doing anything. So it's better to do something and make people believe that by doing, you're actually gaining something. So again, project management, the do, 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 go, go, go needs to stop S-T-O-P-4 thinking. That means that whatever we're going to do and whatever we train to do needs to be strategic. Strategic will let you define what are the real goals and outcomes that you want. It's not just doing for the sake of doing. What are you going to measure when you're doing, doing, doing? You're measuring whether you are going in the right direction, right trajectory. You need a roadmap. You need a compass. You need a dashboard. And you need a GPS that tells you recalculating every time you screw up. So you need to really be strategic. The second thing is the strategy is as good as the tactics that support achieving that strategy. So that's the S and that's the T. But... You can have the best strategies and the best tactics in the world. That's the playbook. But then when you actually are in the field and your opponent is coming at you with everything they have, you need to be operational. You need to work within the rules. You need to work within the ethics. You need to work within the processes that you need to do. Yes, there is an art in improvising that great move, but that art doesn't happen unless you're qualified to do that. Luck doesn't come into disaster recovery. So you need to have that operational part. But then only people that have had, like I said, that tango between knowledge and experience 
knowledge as expressed in best practices and experience as expressed in lessons learned, good or bad, before you get to the insights of wisdom, that means you need to calibrate your strategies, your tactics, and your operational plans with a reality of one P, practicality. Second P, pragmatism. Third P, politics. And the fourth P is the proactive one. You can't wait for something. You need to be thinking ahead, just like chess thinks several moves ahead. You need to do that. But when you do a move, everything ahead of you changes. It all depends on your trajectory. So I think that we are too set in following guidelines. One interesting thing I have learned is that we are pulled in two very opposite directions. There is a pull towards total order. Everybody wants the Swiss level of predictability, of assurance, of reliability, of I know exactly what's going to happen next time. And there are a lot of people that pull to that. On the other hand, what is the opposite of total order? And the normal answer is chaos. And the answer is not chaos. It's total randomness where you don't know anything that's going to happen. Games of, on the field in a way are random because somebody can do something that nobody's expecting and it changes the tide of a game. So chaos is in the middle. And we as humans operate in that fringe of chaos because in addition to the pull towards total order and the pull towards total randomness, entropy, it's starting to deteriorate, you have four things that are guiding this world today. Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That spells VUCA, which is a military term for any action they take. And that's where we need to be. We need to not be absolute in what we're trying to do with our responses. We do not need to be total faith on only one science. We can believe that the power of leadership of one individual or one discipline or one organization, public or private, or even one nation is gonna make a difference. All of us have the answer, but only if we work together. One last question for you, and that is, in reading the news in the aftermath of what had happened with Hurricane Harvey, Houston was built on a bayous. lot of lo bayous, and it was built inland from Galveston, because Galveston, turn of the century, was hit by a major hurricane, mm -hmm. was vulnerable. Galveston had been a bigger city than Houston. Houston didn't really exist as a town, but they built it inland. They built a canal to it to protect it from hurricanes and to make it a major port. The irony is that it is vulnerable in a different way, of course, when you have a hurricane like Harvey. And the developments in the Houston area that were inundated were supposed to be built above the floodplain. They were. And they were not, that was not the case. Um, what's going on now in terms of a rethink of how to deal with, to mitigate, and to prevent where it can these types of things happening in Harris County or in other jurisdictions in the Texas area? I think that what has happened is that people are starting to realize that it is happening. People sometimes forget the lessons of the past. And I think that the problem with a place like Houston, and again, I don't declare loyalty to anything, but when politics gets in the way, there's very little progress. When you have a city that has not benefited from urban planning the way it is, and you're constantly reacting, 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 okay? The irony of it all is that there is never enough money 
to plan for a mitigating a disaster. There is not enough money to prevent, mitigate, prepare the community for that. But you always seem to find money to recover. It's never enough, but you will always find that money. If a portion of what is going to need it. So I like the phrase that says, don't look at the cost of planning for a disaster. Focus on the cost of recuperating from the disaster and you will see that it's many factors of magnitude less. Unfortunately, until someone stops making money on disasters, on political decisions that allow developers to continue building where they should not be building, or insurance company continuing to penalize who they should not be penalizing, that's the problem. So. I want to thank you very much for taking part in the podcast, with even with the Sorry. hardware work going on in the back there, as we're talking during the middle of a conference in a yep. public space. So I spoke with Dr. Jorge Vanegas, who is the dean of the College of Architecture at Texas A&M University. I want to thank you very much again, Jorge, yes, for joining the podcast. Thank you very much. It has been an honor. You may find out more information at www.pinnacleperformancemanagementalloneword.com. At Riding the Wave, we like to get your feedback, and you may contact me directly at my email address, andrew at pinnacleperformancemanagementalloneword.com. Thanks for listening, and come back soon for our next podcast. You've been listening to Riding the Wave, Hosted by Andrew Boyarski, President of Pinnacle Performance Management and Clinical Associate Professor in Emergency and Project Management at NYU and John Jay College. All thoughts are his own.